Double duty. But hello, comment ça va? Yeah, bah, hello. You, you know, I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, d'habitude, when, uh, when you get, gives the greeting, she says, bah, hello. And I was going to cop that this morning. I was going to kind of try to echo her. Um, she's fantastic at that. She's very, very good. Um, at, right at the top here, I, I just want to start by saying I, I'm incredibly grateful uh, to be a part of a church that actually takes the time uh, at the beginning of her service to acknowledge the fact that in, in Moncton, uh, you're almost as likely to have heart, uh, French as your kind of heart language as you are to have English as your heart language. And, um, you know, the leadership of this church, they're very aware of that. And the fact that they, they're so intentional about making decisions to, to open, open the gate and make sure that everybody tries to feel included, I'm, I'm really, really glad to be a part of a community like that. In fact, if I'm allowed, oh, okay. If I'm allowed this morning, um, I'm going to put a bit of a shout out uh, to Pastor Joel, not to Pastor Joel, but for Pastor Joel. He's not here. It's like the first Sunday in about a year or so that he hasn't been here. So I'm just going to take a minute to brag on him. It seems like a pretty good time. Uh, many of you would know um, that Pastor Joel, our lead pastor, was born not too far from here. Um, but he really spent the, the overwhelming majority of his life in the United States, where French is not really much of a thing. Um, and so uh, he picked up uh, in poco de espanol, a little bit of Spanish growing up, but for the most part, he just spoke good old American English, whatever we would consider that to be. Uh, but you've probably noticed over the last uh, few years or so that his, his uh, ability to speak in French has been improving. He's been, he's been throwing in uh, French words and French phrases here and there, he even offered the French welcome a few times uh, here. And what you might not know is that that's not just happening. There are no French pills that one is able to take uh, so that you can become proficient. Uh, he's actually, um, he's put in a lot of time. He's, he's been engaging intentionally in French conversations with people. He listens to French radio. He reads French news. He uses software apps and stuff like that. He, he's been putting in a lot of time and a lot of hours. And I, for one, think that that's absolutely fantastic. And do you know why? Do you know why I think it's fantastic? because nobody asked him to. He, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't part of his job interview. It, it's, not, it's not on the job description. It wasn't a condition of employment. He is just so passionate about making sure that everybody who walks through these doors understands and has the opportunity to feel connected to what Jesus is doing. And so I'm incredibly grateful to be serving underneath him. So Joel's Joel's spirit-fueled leadership has been, for me personally, and I think for a lot of you here, you could say that it's been a godsend in this time. But Joel, just like myself and, and Nathan and, and Pat and really even a lot of the people that are sitting out here in the congregation, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. For decades and decades, under the previous leaderships of, of Pastor Buckingham and Pastor Tim, this church has been, has been built upon the idea that we must do everything we can to reach everyone we can with the good news of Jesus, whether young or old, male or female, wealthy or struggling, hearing or hearing impaired, French first language, English first language, or Portuguese, Spanish, or Mandarin, or Cantonese, or Korean, or Swahili, or Creole, or Mi'kmaq, or any other first language that we exist, we exist to help build bridges to the community so that every Every, 
everyone has the opportunity to experience and know the radical, transformative love of Jesus Christ. Church, that is in, that is in our very DNA. It's both the past of this church, but rest assured, it is the future of this church as well. Now, I've just returned from uh, Montreal, got, got in last night, and, and Joel is still somewhere in Quebec, I believe, with Tracy, enjoying some crepes. In fact, maybe think, come to think of it, maybe that's why he's invested so much time in learning French, so he's planning of his vacation there. No, I'm just kidding. So I just came back from Montreal. We had the very first uh, ever national uh, conference of the National Church of, of, uh, of Canada for, for the Wesleyan Church, and it was, it was momentous. It was quite a historic occasion, and I, I mean, I could take the morning just sort of unpacking that, um, but I won't. Um, I will say that they, they intentionally chose to hold that event in, in Montreal, in Quebec, because uh, the Wesleyan Church in Canada wants to make it known that we, we plan to be intentional about reaching people who have French first language uh, as, their, as their culture. And so, um, when I was coming back though, um, speaking of U-turns, uh, when I was coming back, I, I kind of was thinking about things and I had one thing that I was thinking about talking about, but I, we, we planned the idea that um, as I was considering the fact that it was just a few days ago, it's to Kenzu, and right now somewhere, in, in not just in Moncton, but in PEI and the whole area around here, nous avons le Congrès mondial acadien, all these things sort of coalesced. And if, if you'll allow me for just a few moments this morning, I, I won't make it long, I promise. I just want to um, give a little mini history lesson about some of the things uh, in Moncton Wesleyan Church's past. Because I realize that some of you have been here since... Um, well, for a very, very long time. And, but some of you are brand new. Some of you are just visiting this morning. You have no idea at all. So um, I just want to give you a little snapshot of the history, uh, some of the things here at Moncton Wesleyan Church. So back in 1976, um, we had a, a lead pastor who was uh, seven years into his, his pastorship that lasted more than 40 years. His name was uh, L.D. Buckingham. Uh, so he'd been here for a little while. He started to feel this overwhelming conviction that this church needed to do more to reach out to the community around him. And that's when he developed what's known as the manifesto. Some of you might have heard of this before. Um, now, if you spent any time around this church over the last few years, you've heard our current mission statement, right? God's love in us to the world. Why? There you go, because love changes everything. Well, the manifesto that was penned in 1976 was sort of the mission statement of that day. And it was, it was quite long, but the excerpt that ended up kind of becoming the mantra or the heartbeat of the church for decades was this. It said, we must use every possible method in every possible place at every possible time to reach every possible person for Christ. Everything we do and everything we are is aimed and for that purpose. I could do that in my Dr. Buckingham voice, but I won't. So this fiery vision led the church to try all kinds of wild and, and crazy things to reach out and connect to the community. And a lot of them worked, and some of them didn't, but that's not the point. The point was that the mission, the mission was just too important to leave any idea untested, to leave anything off the table. So the church during this season grew by leaps and bounds, actually, and tons and tons of people were connecting with Jesus. It was actually fantastic. And it was almost 20 years after this manifesto was penned and tons and tons of growth had happened, though, that Dr. Buckingham had a good look around the church. 
And he realized the lack of impact that we'd been having as a community into the Francophone community around us. I mean, the biggest church in the most bilingual city, in the most bilingual province, in, the, you know, in this great bilingual country of ours, especially at a time when English and, and French were still quite stratified, the church had to face up to the fact that they were not really reaching every possible person. So after taking a hard look, Pastor B decided to shake some things up. The church started being more intentionally bilingual in terms of signage and promotional materials. They started ensuring that there was a, a French-speaking person at least uh, on the board and in leadership positions. And then in 1994, they even went so far as to hire a dedicated French pastor and launch a French service in this very building. It was upstairs in the old, uh, old portion of the building. It was before this section was ever built on at room 310 if you're ever curious and want to go on a tour. Um, the sanctuary actually doubled as my classroom when I was in middle school here, so I'm sure they had to pray a lot of things out every Sunday morning when they got there. But. Now, there were some ups and downs in that church, and the truth is that there are ups and downs in every single church, and somebody knowingly said, amen. But ultimately, that, that expression of that church closed its doors about 10 years later, and then it joined up with this congregation. But the, the impact of that one realization, of that resolve, it lives on to this day. Now there are literally hundreds of people who call Moncton Wesleyan leur église, their home church. And as a body, we are much stronger for it. This morning, you had you get. Uh, on the platform with us, and you also had her son, Julien, over there playing acoustic. They were active members of the French church, and my father actually was one of the founding members of the French church, um, so don't hold that against him, though. When it comes to the church, here's the thing. Unity is always the goal. Unity is always the goal. Not uniformity, but unity. Not stagnance, but unity. Unity is very very difficult to attain, and it is very, very difficult to maintain, especially, especially when you couple it with the goal of reaching out to lost people all around you, all of whom are coming from different places with different stories. A growing, vibrant unity is our goal, God's love in us to the world, but it requires, it requires tremendous effort. It requires intentionality. And ultimately, it requires translation. And that's what we're going to talk about for just a few minutes this morning, is translation. The idea of sharing and sharing in the good news of Jesus Christ as, transla as translation. If you'd like to, I'll invite you to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you have a hard copy, or if you uh, want to look it up in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That is... Uh, in the New Testament, after the Gospels, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you've got Acts, and then you've got this big old letter called Romans, and then boom, you're into 1 Corinthians. You're getting near the back. You're getting near the back. We're going to read uh, from, from chapter 9, we're going to read verses 19 to 23. As far as we know, uh, this is a letter that was written to a church in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. This church was facing a hall kinds of problems. You may wonder how we know that it was facing all kinds of problems. Well, Paul had to write not one, but at least two, and, and possibly more, strongly worded letters to the community there. Um, 
So things were not necessarily going super swimmingly. Um, that's kind of bad news for them, but it's, it's fantastic news for us because these are amazing letters. I mean, without 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what would we read at our weddings, right? Huh? Anybody? Okay. So among the many, many challenges that were facing the church at Corinth, it seems if you read through that unity was a big one. If you read through this letter, you can see the theme popping up over and over again. You can almost feel the tension, like the church there is about to split apart at the seams. Then about halfway through this particular letter, as Paul is is just basically pleading with the church to work things out, we have this little section that sort of tips Paul's hand and gives us kind of a, a glimpse into how he might suggest attaining and maintaining unity within the church while also growing that church, a church that he himself was responsible for planting. So here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Now, the Apostle Paul was a masterful translator of the message of Jesus Christ. Not just translating it from language to language, which he literally had to do, but, but translating that message from culture to culture, as mentioned above. If you look at that passage, he's talking about how he was able to take the good news of Jesus and, and preach it to people who were already kind of steeped in Judaism and in the stories of the Old Testament. But he was also able to bring that same gospel message to people who had absolutely no idea who Adam was or who Noah was or who Abraham was or who Moses was. The back half of the book of Acts, which you would have leafed over as you were going through to 1 Corinthians, it largely chronicles Paul's journeys and it shows how he was able to translate the gospel to people in various communities, various various countries and backgrounds and in various ways. And I think that we can see in the life of Paul a bit of a blueprint for how you and how I today can be translators of the gospel as well. So let's just walk through this together. First things first, translators have to know the message. Translators have to know the message. Meaning they need to be able to understand what the original intended message is before they can ever hope to be able to translate and share that message with anyone else. Now, that probably seems like such an obvious point that it's unnecessary to share, but my experience as a, as a parent says that we should always mention even the obvious points. Sometimes we suffer when we skip those things. So good translators are fluent in the languages and contexts of the original message. They are not guessing they are not guessing. If I had to speak this morning and share the same message in front of a group of uh, South Koreans or Russians or, or Papua New Guineans, I would certainly want the translator that was provided for me to be fluent in English. Does that make sense? 
That would make sense, right? This would not go very well. Goodness, I have a hard enough time uh, communicating to people who are English first language. So I've got to make sure that I've got everything working, against, work, working for me. Translators have to understand. They have to know the message. Now we're going to come back to this point, but just before we move on, let's check out what Paul himself says near the beginning of the same letter that we're in. In, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verse 2, while describing his time among the Corinthians, he says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was very, very certain that he knew the message. Translators know the message. Not only do they know the message, but they know their audience. Translators know their audience. Again, this is another fairly obvious statement, but if I was to refer back to the example that we had above and me standing in front of a group of non-English speakers and enlisting the services of a translator, I mean, it's all fine and dandy if that translator understands me. I mean, but if they can't speak the language of the people that they're translating to, then what's the point? I mean, I can do that. I understand me sometimes. Uh, So they, they need to also be very, very adept at the language and context of the people that they're, that they're translating for. They need to know what turns of phrase will work and what turns of phrase will not work. Now, I had a half a mind this morning to uh, show you a few images that I was able to find on the internet of uh, translations gone wrong. Um, I, won't, I won't bore you with that. If you're interested in Googling them later, you can. Just a fair warning, some of them are less appropriate than others. Um, but while I was thinking about this one example, though, I need not look much further than myself. Um, Now, most of you who are native French speakers, uh, or at the very least are very good at it, you would note that my French is far from perfect. Mon accent, c'est pas pire. Mais ma vocabulaire puis ma grammaire sont not not so great. Um, That being said, I've still taken the chance uh, to do the French welcome here a few times. And the first time I did it, it was a bit of a train wreck. Um, but I, was, you know, I, I, I built myself up and I practiced and I, I decided to do a second time and things were going well. The second time was going well. I was cooking along. And then I got cocky and I decided to go off script. Now, if you are not uh, masterful in a language, it's not a great idea for you to try to improvise in that language while you're on the platform. So what I had intended to try to communicate um, as I was doing the, the welcome was, uh, if you are new here this morning, please swing by Starting Point, which as many of you know is the, the place for newcomers so they get a chance to connect with us. What I, that's what I wanted to say. But in the middle of me saying this sentence, for some reason the word new, how it was translated in French, just completely evaporated from my mind. I couldn't think of it. So as somebody who was, you know, a, a native Monktonian, I did what any Monktonian would do. I just said the English word with a French accent. I figured that'd be a good thing to do, right? Just, that's how you do shiak. So um, essentially, what I said is, si t'es nu ici ce matin, on vous invitera chez le point de départ. <laughs> so if you, like me, are not masterful in French, then let me let you in a little bit on the joke there. Basically, what I said was, if you happen to be naked here this morning, (laughs) we'd invite you to visit us as a starting point, which makes much more sense now because we actually have t-shirts as the gift, but back then it was just a coffee cup. (laughs) That That is cold comfort at that point. 
Good translators understand their audience. They understand their customs and their language and their context. And again, Paul was phenomenal at this. We don't have to, we don't really have time this morning to look too much at this in detail, but in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, we find Paul in Athens. And Athens is like the cradle of Greek philosophy at the time. This culture was very, very not Christian. It was very not Jewish. It was not familiar with the original languages or contexts of the gospel message that Paul was bringing with him from Jerusalem. And Paul ends up preaching there to a bunch of philosophy-loving Greeks. And here's a snippet of what he says from Acts chapter 17. From one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now that might seem like some good theology and some persuasive preaching to you, which it actually should, but unless you're paying careful attention, what you might miss is that there's two sections here, for in him we live and move and have our being, and quote, we are his offspring. These are believed to be quotes from uh, Epimenides and Aratus, who were, they, they were Greek uh, philosopher poets of the time. See, Paul not only knew the literal Greek language, but he was familiar enough with their customs, with their ways of thinking, that he was able to not just translate the words of the gospel, but he was able to help translate its meaning. Good translators know the message. Good translators know their audience. And get this, because this here, this is the, this is the game changer. This is going to blow your mind. Good translators translate. You didn't clap for that. I didn't expect you to clap there, but hey, you did. Um, good translators translate. You know, around here, this might not be universal, but when I was a kid, what we would have said is, duh, which, if, if I could translate that for you, basically means, obviously, of course translators translate. What I mean is, is this. It, it's not simply enough to know the message, nor is it enough to know the audience, to be steeped in, in those cultures and contexts. But to be a good translator, you actually need to do the work of translation. In effect, you need to become the translation. What does Paul say? Let's look again at our passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll, we'll keep an eye open for this. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave. To everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. I skipped ahead, it's my fault. <laughs> to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you see how he's, he's translating? He's, he's taking the message and he's taking the culture and he's, he's bridging the gap. It's not just enough to know it, you actually have to do it. Make no mistake, Paul, 
Paul was not the message. Jesus was, and Jesus is the message, but Paul became like. He became like in order to translate the message for those in need, in order to bridge the gap between message and audience that some might be saved. Good translators know the message, they know their audience, and they translate. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that unity within the church was a bit of a preoccupation of this letter from Paul. But we've largely been talking about how we translate to those outside the church. When Paul says, though I am free and belong to no one, I made myself a slave to everyone. That's at the very beginning of the passage that we shared. Uh, That statement is coming on the heels of the rest of the chapter. You know, these verses are not just by themselves, so they stand in context. Paul describes in that chapter how he has shown himself willing to not put his desires or his preferences above the needs of the church. So earlier on in that, in that same chapter, chapter 9, verse 12, he says that he was willing to put up with anything. We put up with anything. Put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ among them. So I think this, I think this is the secret sauce of good translation and for how it can not only reach outside the church, but how it can also bolster the unity within the church. Good translators, they remember who they're translating for. They know who's the boss. Translators know the message, they know their audience, and they get down to doing the work of creative translation, but they also remember who they're serving. It's not themselves. It's not even really the audience, uh, the people that they're reaching. The boss, the one who has enlisted their services, is the very creator of the universe. The boss is Jesus. And so when we understand this, then we, like Paul, we can choose to put up with anything rather than hinder the good news of Christ and the unity of his church. And this is where I get to take a moment um, for myself personally to say thank you. I'm not going to share too much of my story this morning. I don't want to take the time for that. But I truly, I truly have the sense that at least in part, um, that because of the visible unity of this church that I was able to see from the moment that I walked in here almost more than 30 years ago, um, it's, it's because of that in part that I am still the believer in and the follower of Jesus that I am today. There has been no shortage of things that have come into the life of this church to try to break up that unity. But the story of Moncton Wesleyan, the, the story of the past and the story of our future has been a story, church, of very good and faithful translation, of people being deeply rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, of people being intimately familiar with the cultures and contexts around them, of doing the hard, spirit-fueled work of translation and laying aside preferences in service of the one who has called us all. So let me say, for those of you who have and who continue to to sacrifice your preferences in so many different ways, whether it's the time that you, you worship, whether it's the location in which you worship, 
and to hit a little bit close to the home, whether it's the style of music or a venue in which you worship. Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, I mean this. Thank you for understanding that the message is greater and for choosing to lay aside your preferences. And I have a special, special word this morning for those of you that English is not your first language. And yet you, you, you've chosen and you continue to choose to, to lay aside your rights to be a part of this community so that we can show unity around us and so that we can be better together and stronger together and so that my children and your children can grow up united and so that we can be a, a unified testimony to the community around us. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. Asante. Gracias. Thank you so much for being willing to continue to do that. I believe... I believe that this... I believe that this work of translation really, really matters because as this community around us continues to grow and it continues to change, we need to maintain our unity and we need to grow our God-given abilities to be the absolute best translators that we can be. We need to know the message. We need to know the audience. We need to do the work of translation. And we've got to remember, we got to know who's boss. He deserves it. And our community church, our community so desperately needs it. So what about you? What about you this morning? Let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you. In this moment, how are you poised to be the best translator of the gospel that you can be? Would you stand with me as we just get ready to close? How are you poised to be the best translator of the gospel that you can be? We're just gonna, we're just gonna stand here in, in, for a moment and just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Who in your life are you positioned to be a translator for? Is it your family at home? Is it your coworkers? Is it your neighbors? Let's just ask the Holy Spirit right now to open your eyes a little bit, just to see the people around you who might speak a different actual language or who might speak a very, very different cultural language. They might dress silly, in your opinion. They might look different. They might not be in the same socioeconomic bracket that you are. How can you be the gospel for them? How can you take the message and understand their context and then let the Holy Spirit empower you to do the work translation. So for some of you, there's a name that's already coming to mind. 
And we're gonna pray in just a few moments that you have the opportunity soon to enact that. But I said at the very beginning that there was this really, really obvious, super simple step, which is the very first step of translation is that you need to know the message. And I said, we'd come back there. It's possible that there's somebody in this room this morning who's trying to skip over that part. You know the culture, you know the context around you, and you might even wanna to start to do the work, but do you really know the message? Have you had the opportunity to get to know Jesus? I'm gonna invite the prayer team forward uh, this morning. And after, after we pray this morning, if you would love the opportunity to, to find out a little bit more about who this Jesus is, I would invite you to, to connect with any of the people who are along the front. They would, they would love to be able to talk to you about that. Or you could meet us out at Starting Point or at the info booth. But, but don't miss the chance. Don't try to skip ahead and, and do the work without fully knowing the message. You know, the, earlier in the, the, the book of Acts, that's when Paul has his opportunity to first know the message. He's walking along the road to Damascus about to do some pretty bad stuff. And then boom, blinding lights. And even though his physical eyes were not able to see, he was able to see for the first time the message around him, the message inside him the message of Jesus Christ. Can we sing this together? Ouvre les yeux de mon cœur, Père. Ouvre les yeux de mon cœur. Je désire te voir. Je désire te voir. See, open the eyes of my heart. Open the of us this morning who have yet to have our hearts, our hearts fully opened to you. Oh Lord, 
may your spirit fall. And may something like scales fall from our eyes. And may we see like, like never before, may we see for the first time the goodness and the purity and the, the, the passion and the power of your son and how his redeeming work can set not only our hearts straight, but our community straight and our world straight. It's only his work. So Lord, may, the, may, may our eyes be opened. And Lord, for some of us whose eyes have been opened, but who have grown a little bit dim, Lord, that our eyes would burst open anew this morning to understand what you've done for us and what you want to do through us. Lord, may we intimately and deeply know the gospel good news message of Jesus Christ. And then Lord, through that, would you, would you move us out into our communities? Would you give us the desire and the passion to become really well aware of our contexts? And then would you, would you motivate us by the power of your Holy Spirit to do the spirit-fueled work, the hard, creative, exhausting, ongoing work of translating for our community and for our world and for our families and for our coworkers and for our neighbors, that good news. Would you do that, Lord? Individually and corporately, would you make us the kind of church that is full of very, very good translators? And Lord, as people look at this church, could they just be overwhelmed and shocked by the level of unity that they see here? Could they look and see your body united in love, united in passion? And could that happen, Lord, through each of us serving one another and laying aside our preferences and our rights? being on the same page. That can't happen in our flesh. That can only happen by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for this body and I just ask that you would continue to bless. We are so grateful for your love. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So the prayer team is here. If you would love to come and and talk to them about anything that you have. But listen, before you go, I, I want you to hear, I want you to hear this. If you've heard me say, you're doing a bad job and you need to do better, you've heard the wrong thing. You are an amazing church that has been faithfully and passionately doing the work of translation in this community for decades. And I see no indications that that's going to stop. I only see forward momentum. Can we try this together? Joel's been tagging this on at the end of the service um, for the last little while. You know, we, we know this part, right? It's God's love in us to the world. And he says, why? And you say, because love changes everything. But he also says, parce que l'amour change tout. Can you say, parce que l'amour change tout. Parce que l'amour change tout. It's God's love in us to the world. Why? Parce que l'amour change too, because love changes everything. Let's go and translate this week, people. <laughs>